0: Podcast Ain't Played Nobody coming to you sort of live from Newport, Rhode Island.
1: Yeah. We're
0: We're pretty live. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be listening to this live by any means, but we're in person. We're in the
1: same room for, I think, only the second time ever. We did one podcast where... uh... I was very hungover. We had Matt Brown. We in Washington, right. D.C. This one's better because it's AAC Media Day, so we have to be slightly uh, polite. I can't holler, but I, I can. I mean, I think if I could get just maybe one more. Yes. Um, it's been a big day, Bill. We did a lot of interviewing. You did a lot of interviewing. Yeah, look at me. Being, being a, a journalist. That's
0: right. Something like that. Anyway. How, that how was that? What, oh, it was exhausting. I, yeah, it's I'm, pretty I'm terrible. Ready, I'm ready to go home. That's why I drink a lot. Um... So yeah, we're here at AAC Media Days. It's, this is going to be a, a basically a two-parter. I think we we are going to share some of the interviews later in the uh, later in the, this show, and then we're going to have a second show, fe- uh, kind of uh, specifying like fe- featuring two longer interviews with two specific coaches. So uh, let's talk first about let's talk first about Newport, Rhode Island.
1: Um. It's a fantastic area. has absolutely nothing to do with college football, which is sort of, the, I guess, the charm. We were plied with uh, free alcohol and lobster last night, which is why the AAC is the best conference in the United States at the college football, at the tackle football specifically, at the college level. They
0: had so, they had so much lobster last night that it didn't all actually get eaten. Like there, were, there was leftover lobster, and that's the first time I think I've ever seen that in my entire life.
1: Um, There may be some leftover football teams, too. Oh, transition. Uh, We had a conversation with Mike Oresco. So here's what we're going to do. Bill and I are still running around. We we haven't even fully absorbed the greatness of this event yet. But um, we we ran around, and each of us talked to a bunch of coaches, and then we talked to some together. um, And we're going to play those audio clips as best we can. It took us about two hours to do our job, or, like, the interview part today, and about four hours to find how to, like, put all this together because we don't you know we aren't really audio people, so we well, apologize and, in advance.
0: And the the city of Newport doesn't really believe in in wireless. It's only kind of a theoretical concept. Uh, it's kind of we've run into some issues. If you've seen Godfrey's um, Houston Q and A from, I would early, assume
1: that by the time they hear yeah. this, it will be up. That we we did a uh, a quick impromptu did my Dan Rubenstein homage. That's right. Rap trivia game show um, with University of Houston players and Coach Tom Herman. So hopefully that's up and you've seen it. Um, Bill, where do we want to go first? I believe we're going to go with your linguistic stylings with one uh, Navy coach, Ken Niemansnola. Now, you did this interview while I think I was talking to maybe Willie Taggart at USF, which we'll hear we'll hear that one later. But what I have absolutely no idea what you talked to with, with Coach Neo about at all. Uh, this
0: one, I, I just wanted to revisit some of the concepts that we uh, had talked about last year when when I talked to him for the Blueprint piece about. Um, how, you know, when Navy was joining the conference, uh, the, the common, the conventional wisdom was uh, centered a lot around just the idea that, you know, well, that's, that's not a good move for Navy because then opponents will figure out the option. They'll figure out how to, um, you know, defend the option when they see it every year. Um, I mean, this was a pretty silly line of thinking from the start. Number one, because they play the same; te- they play a lot of common opponents every year anyway, mm-hmm. and they continue to win games. Uh, and uh, but as 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 Niu is is very uh, quick to point out too, now they know what the other teams are going to try to uh, do as well. They there are only so many different ways you can defend the options. They've seen them all by this point, and if they're more prepared for what you might uh, be attempting. Then any advantage you have from having seen them, you know, having played against them, is out the window. So uh, now that that, that that long intro covers just about all of what I talked about with him, but now you'll get to hear it from his voice, uh, along with some questions about general turnover this year and how he feels about his team. Coach, last year you—I uh, know at this media day it was the last year you talked a lot about how it felt like your program was being a little underestimated, and, and the whole narrative of you know when you're in a conference you play the same teams every year, and therefore they will get to uh, get more used to facing the option. And your point at the time was that you get more used to facing them too. Um, that aside, obviously you haven't played everybody twice yet, but in your first year, how important was it to have the level of success that you had uh, last season on the field?
2: Well, it was great for that team last year to be able to get success. You know, it was great for our program. Um, but, you know, in this profession, it's, it's such a what have you done for me lately. And I'm uh, really happy what our team did last year, but that has no bearing on this year. And hopefully this team this year is ready to go. You know, we had a really good summer. And uh, we'll see how our August camp goes.
0: Yeah, I um, in the preview I wrote for Navy this year, I said, you know, I'm, I'm one of the biggest uh, advocates of, of Navy's year to year success, but so much turnover. Obviously, you're always going to be pretty uh, dependent on upperclassmen, but this year it seems like there's a lot more than normal, especially a quarterback. Does that affect your preparation? Does that affect your expectation heading into a given year?
2: Oh, that's a great question, Bill. But the great thing for us is all of these guys have been in our program. It's not like, you know, we've had free agents right. or they're junior college guys that yeah. just got here. Our staff's been together. So even though they may not have started, a lot of them have actually played a lot of football, but they may not have been starters. But we roll our defensive line, our linebackers rotate, our wide receivers and slot backs rotate. And so all of these guys have been in games. The one guy you don't rotate obviously is obviously the quarterback. But we feel good about Tongo. Um I guess because I've been here so long and our kids recognize our culture, our players know our culture, our, our coaches know our culture, that you feel as good as you can be without, you know, you never you never feel great going to season. You see all things work out. But, um, you know, Urban Meyer said this about his team because he had all these guys that got drafted and they're asking the Big Ten, you know, like, you know, what are you going to do now? You lost all these guys. He goes, well, I feel good about our team. They may not have played but I've seen them. Now obviously we don't, you know, have first round draft choice, right. but by the same token the media may not have seen these guys are coming up but I have. Right. And I feel good about
0: them. Um, and did you start to get an impression of, you know, last year going back to the, the conference thing? Obviously you guys play the same teams every year, at least a few anyway. But did you get a decent impression for what you think how you think teams are going to attack you, um, especially within the West Division?
2: Yeah, I think so. You kind of get a beat or try to get a little bit of a game plan of what they're trying to do. Like there are maybe, you know, half the teams, we prepared for something else and they lined up totally differently. And so while people get more familiar with us and see what we do, we kind of got a, at least a year in our memory bank or in our file system, okay, this is what these guys have done against us. So yeah. I think that it works both ways. You know, they – they get more familiar with us, but we also get more familiar with them. I mean, like I said, there were a couple teams last year that we prepared for something totally different, right. and we had to adjust on the run. And fortunately, we've been doing this for a while that we could adjust. Right.
0: And then the last question um, How has recruiting been impacted at all by moving into a conference, and especially being in a where you're playing in Texas a couple times a year?
2: Uh, being in the conference has definitely helped us. I mean, it's, it's very, very evident in recruiting. Being in this conference has been successful, like you said, being that we play in the West and really all over. I mean, we're trying to go into Ohio a little bit more and having Cincinnati there. We've always been in the Southeast. And so the AAC conference has been really, really good for us.
1: Ken Niamatinolo, um, good journalism, by the way. I'm proud of you.
0: Right, that was kind of, you know, your basic run-of-the-mill Media Day question and answers. I tried to throw my own little, uh, hey, hey, we're good buddies in there. You know, we're, please don't. We're,
1: please, I don't want you to get any better at this because I'm sure as hell not going to do any math anytime soon. Well,
0: I don't really think that qualifies better, but or or, or even good. But it got the it, you know, know. It, it allowed me to feel like we're, we're old friends who have chatted before.
1: Um, so speaking of old friends who have chatted before, <laughs> I've spent an inordinate amount of time with Coach Tommy Tuberville at Cincinnati. Um, and so when you see a coach at an event like this, other than kind of BSing about a depth chart, you just – I think my goal today was just kind of to screw with him a little bit and mess with him. So uh, you're about to hear Cincinnati head coach Tommy Tuberville, in which I try and convince him that he should use Snapchat. Uh, But then also I think when you're as much of an SEC veteran as he is, he comes to a lot of these AAC events and and looks around and, you know, because he's like this old-established – Season head. I mean, I think anyone who worked at Auburn is basically immune to ever feeling stressed out or oh, yeah. like, uh, you know, worried about an environment. So he usually just kind of shows up these things, stands in the back, kind of laughs a little bit, and then he splits. So well, also Cincinnati started practice today. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, that they, flew, they flew home to Cincinnati for a team meeting um, about two hours after we recorded this. So um, he was in and out. But, anyways, this is Tommy Tuberville from Cincinnati, and uh, hopefully he'll be on Snapchat soon. We're here with um, a coach I've spent a good deal amount of uh, a time with, uh, Mr. Tommy Tuberville. How how strange are these media days now in terms of all this stuff you have to do? Have you done any Snapchat today? I feel like you're a Snapchat guy.
3: Well, n- not quite. We believe that to our players. Okay. Uh, they're more, more into that than, than, than coaches are. I think some coaches are into it a little bit. But this social media has really really changed it from recruiting to pushing your team, pushing individual players, uh, selling tickets. Yeah. I mean, it is just, it's it's a great avenue of, of publicity, but there's a lot of areas that, you know, grow each year. There's sure. di- different things that go on, and you got to keep up with it.
1: How many, uh, did, were you up retweeting the other night at midnight?
3: <laughs> no. Did you, did you hit all the guys? No, no I didn't do that. No, no, I didn't do that. But we do quite a bit of it. You know, the thing that, you know, used to, you had a video, man, it's all you work with video now you got to have a social media media person oh, yeah. that handles all the all the things that are going along with a, a, a sports information director yeah. you know and and so there's there's a lot of things that have changed I enjoy it though I, I think yeah. the more information especially in our conference the more information we can get out there the better for us sure how's uh, how is the last the last few weeks been in terms of
1: the conjecture and the rumors and everything else around Cincinnati you guys kind of smile and deflect it's
3: a little different than maybe some of your other member schools in the AAC. You know, everywhere the last six years now. You got to remember, I was in the Big Twelve when all the all the moving around was going. So while I was at Texas Tech, we were to lose a couple teams, bring two in. We might be going to the Pac-12. It, you know, it's been so for those three years. It was just like the last three years here. Yeah, teams going in, teams going out, and so I, I feel right at home with all this. Uh, I just let it I let it go over my head because there's nothing I can do. You know, we leave this up to our board and our president. and see what happens but uh you know the thing that you know I'll tell their team today at three o'clock I have my first team meeting and and we'll address it a little bit but we got 20 seniors on the team that spent hundreds of hours in their lifetime getting ready for their senior in college and so we don't want to downsize that we don't make sure that they have a fun time no matter what happens with realignment and and uh, I don't want them to get caught up in it so We'll start today at 3 o'clock. We'll address it for about five minutes, and then we'll hit the ground running, getting ready to go for the season. Now that you've had a few years to look
1: at what kind of talent you can get at Cincinnati and what you can develop, was there anything that takes you off guard, something you didn't expect when you took the job? Because I know one of the reasons that you left Lubbock was that you felt Cincinnati was an area that you could recruit to, and you could find talent and get it there.
3: Yeah. You know, the thing about Cincinnati is that it's an easy stop for assistant coaches, so we got them all flying into uh the cincinnati Force here coming in and recruiting the top 10 or 12 you know molar st x uh elder all the good schools and so we have to compete with everybody uh when i first got in the league where there was no power five it was a little bit easier then then we had the separation of powers and obviously if you're not in the power five the other schools come in no matter what level they're at we, we might even be a you know Be be a better football program than them. They're they're still going to use it against you. So we've been, I've had to fight that for the last couple of years, and it's taken a little bit of a toll on us simply for the fact that uh, uh, they've been been able to sell that against us. But you know, that being said, Cincinnati's a good place because there's a lot of good players. I've always said this. You know, if you look at the schools that are consistently good, they've got good players in their community and with a you know 15-20 mile radius, even in the SEC. You know, if, you're to, if you don't have a lot of players in your state, you struggle. Because if you've got to go way off to get your players, it's hard to keep those guys. You know, some come in and stay, some end up good, but you lose too big a percentage of them. So Cincinnati is a good place, a good football town, and that helps University of Cincinnati, you know, get players. And, you know, we might even get players that are welcomes. And I've got several this year that are better than some of the guys that we've signed and other people have signed. So... Uh, we're able to evaluate all of them, but uh, good football in Cincinnati. All right, last question for us. Um, a lot
1: of young coaches, a lot of good coaching talent has come through the AAC. I mean, when you look top to bottom, this is a conference in which a lot of people are talking about the coaches. Uh, what's the dynamic like and how different is it than the uh, the old SEC fraternity? I feel like y'all will be a little friendlier with each other here.
3: Yeah, you know, there's not as much ego in our league okay. as it was in SEC. We had a lot of egos. And, uh, you know, because I was a young guy 20 years ago going in there, and I'm looking at some of my guys that I grew up watching, you know. And uh, Gene Stallings was in the league when I got there. Uh, Jim Donnan uh, was at Georgia. Uh, You got Philip Fulmer at Tennessee. You know, uh, Spurrier at Florida. You know, the dynamics were were huge. And so, you know, I'm trying to work my way in it. Here, you know, I'm a little bit older than some of these guys, but it seems like now everybody's more cordial because they're more into everything. You know, the social media part. Uh, you have to be interactive, you know, coaching-wise, to, to be a good social media person. And so I think that's really helpful.
0: I think it's kind of sad that he's going to be on Snapchat before I am, by the way. Well, you can fix that. I don't want to. <sighs> i have decided to be uncool, huh? Uh, you know, that's, that's the real cool is being uncool. Um, anyway, so next up, I believe we're now we're gonna go to Philadelphia for uh, a quick chat I had with Matt Rule. This is only a couple minutes long.
1: We didn't go to Philadelphia though. You just gave you gave the old talk radio throw out there. You're That's like, we're gonna go down to Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, Matt Rule was really. I t- <laughs> said so last night at the clam bake, he was really tan. Yeah. He was very funny. Yeah. He's very relaxed. He just talked about vacation. Um, and then we were making a bunch of jokes last night, most of which we can't repeat about the fun thing of having to retweet these kids. And and you heard a little bit, uh, just in case you're out of the loop, so the new NCAA bylaws went into place over the past week. And at midnight, what was it, how many nights ago, Bill? We have to be specific because there's no... It was Sunday night, right? I believe so. Yeah. So, yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 2nd of August. Uh, On Sunday night, coaches were allowed to start favoriting and retweeting recruits. But as Coach Rule pointed out to us last night, you can't quote... Right. in a tweet. So just more arcane BS from the uh from the NCAA, but um I don't think you talked to him about recruiting. You just went into what did you talk to him about? Today it
0: was just a quick little rundown about um, you know, they have a weird team this year in that last year they had a great defense that returned to almost literally everybody from the year before. This year they lose a ton off their defense, but then they return a ton on the offensive side of the ball. So I asked him a little bit about how that changes his, uh, his preparation, his game planning a little bit, and I, th- I like a couple of his answers at least. So, um, oh, okay, let me rephrase. I like all his answers, but I think he gave some uh, – he shared some interesting insight in a couple of them in particular. Uh, Coach, you last year you entered a situation where your defense had improved dramatically and then you returned almost everybody from it. Uh, now it's kind of the reverse. You lose some defensive guys, but most of your offense comes back. Is, is that
4: going to change any of the game-planning focus, any of the emphasis for your team? I think we'll still have sort of the same ethos, philosophy of playing great defense, running the football. I think the one subtle changes that um, we know we're going to have to maybe score six, seven, eight more points a game, and if that means we open it up a little bit more, we we have tremendous confidence in our quarterback, and what we're really more confident in now is our receivers. We feel like we have a great receiving force. We'll probably throw the ball just a little bit more this year.
0: Yeah, it does seem like there was a, a lot of big plays on offense, but uh, you know the efficiency was still a pretty young unit overall.
4: Um, I think we led the country at one point in, in, in most negative plays. So yeah. we, would, we would have great play, great play, negative play, great play, big play. So I think the thing for us is eliminate the negative plays, and then we're really going to have a focus this fall on having you know 20-plus yard plays and trying to continue to be a dynamic, explosive offense. So on defense, um, you know, you had you had
0: everything last year. You had leadership and experience and talent. Obviously, you know, the talent uh, could still be there, but how big was it to have such continuity uh, from year to year knowing what
4: you had? I think the big thing is, you know, like, you know, we have Avery Williams here. We have uh, a bunch of senior defensive players, and they've been a top 25 defense the last two years. So they understand the way you have to practice prepare. um, so I feel really good about our leadership, and I really, it's, to me, playing great defense is about a mindset and an expectation standard, and those guys have that.
0: And you have such an experienced defensive coordinator, too, that probably can't hurt.
4: Yeah, I mean, he he, he, tell, he usually tells them before the game what's going to happen before it happens. It's amazing. <laughs> so he tells me what's going to happen. So, um, you know, he has taught them how to play defense. So it's not just a, hey, he called a great blitz, or hey, he, he's taught them how to play defense, and that, to me, carries, carries forward. We have kids that are redshirt freshmen that we think are going to be great defensive players because they have spent a year under Phil and underneath these seniors. And so uh, Temple has been n- maybe
0: not as much as Houston or somebody else closer to the Big Twelve, but obviously with all the rumors swirling around uh, these last couple weeks, Temple has come up a couple times. Is that a problem? Does that create a problem with focus
4: or focusing on this year or this conference or whatever? I don't think it does. I mean, at the end of the day, our number one job is to build a great program, a program that every every conference in the country should want. You know, and and uh, you know I tell our kids, you know, we're the twenty sixth largest public university in the country. People sometimes think Temple's a little private. Right. We're the 26th largest public university in the country. Right We're in the fourth largest media oh, market in the country. Yeah. We've been bowl eligible five of the last seven years. Like, you know, all we have to do is make sure that we continue to build our football program and let everything else kind of be talked about, you know. But, but in our building, we have to find a way to get back to the championship game and, and the bowl game.
0: And then last question. Uh, I mean, you've really improved recruiting overall. Uh, what was the biggest issue you found? The, was it a perceptions thing? What was the biggest thing you had to fight to kind of
4: start, you know, getting the uh, eyeballs of recruits? Well, I think, I think that my first year, you know, we're coming off of uh, not a great year. And we felt pretty good about our recruiting all along. I think the biggest thing has been kids Kids like Temple. They like the city. They like our coaches. They like our players, our facilities. But, you know, it was sort of like, are you guys really going to win? Are you guys, you know, we're 2-10, right. you know. And so to finally this year put together a 10-win season and I think validated to those kids, hey, you know what, this is going to be a big-time program. They did bring college game day here. They do have guys getting drafted. They do have guys winning the Bednarik and the Nagurski. So all those things of, you know, are you guys really going to do it? That was all shut down.
1: Temple's Matt Rule. Um, Not that I pay any attention whatsoever, but um, I woke up this morning a little groggy, a little worse for wear, and I had the email alert of the preseason AAC ballot. And in the Eastern Division, one University of South Florida – Uh, head coached by one Willie Taggart, predicted to win that division, Bill. Uh, I can remember, let's say, four or five weeks left in the season last year, Willie Taggart was going to get fired. You remember that? Yeah, it was heading
0: into – it was at least – it was at least uh, mid-October, I think, where he was really they, – they were looking a little better. They just weren't producing. They weren't getting any wins. And then suddenly they got a lot of wins.
1: So what I'm going to talk to Taggart about isn't necessarily so much about what's going to happen in the fall. But he has pulled off a, a successful rebuild for the second time. And he will – I think – I mean, as long as health is pretty much a, a non-issue for them, I think they'll be fine this year. He's going to be a coaching commodity on the market um, basically, the exact same thing happened that happened to him at Western Kentucky, which was come in, inherit inherit kind of a not, – not really a mess, but just not a lot of talent. Right. Recruit really well. Trust your system. They've modified from some of the power a little bit. They have shifted some guys around. It doesn't look quite like it used to. Um, and then the other thing I'm going to talk to him about is, uh, unfortunately, whether you're sick of this or not, is satellite camps. Only because he has a unique perspective. He was a guy who didn't come from much in Florida and who – didn't have the ability as a high school athlete in Florida to go and look around at other colleges outside of his immediate area, and he became an All-American at a school that is, as I think he says in the interview, not close to home at all in Western Kentucky. So uh, here's USF's Willie Taggart. How you been? Great. Everything good? Yes, sir. All right, I got some questions going all the way back to Western. You used to be using a fullback, and a tight end was just about illegal in football. And now all of a sudden y'all are popular
5: again. What happened? Kind of... Changed everything to fit our personnel that we had. Yeah. You know, and and we're still running some of those plays. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're just doing it from a different different look. Yeah. But um, for us, it was just fitting what we had personnel-wise and it made a world of a difference for us. Messaging in Florida, you feel
1: like you finally can get out there and talk to players and high school coaches and everybody and feel like you are best representing what you always thought you would bring to USF? Absolutely.
5: You know, and it's, it's great because... Our vision that we had four years ago is is starting to come come to light now. Yeah. And, and it all because of those guys we recruited when we were two and ten and, and four and eight, they all wanted to be a part of the chain. They wanted to make South Florida. Um, a top 25 program and create expectations for us, and, yeah. and they're doing it now. So I'm excited about those guys because that's what they wanted when they came here, and yeah. they're starting to live up to it. So this is two rebuilds now for you. You've been successful. Uh, how different were these two uh, reclamation projects? Um, it was different. Uh, I, I went to West and I, I went to school there. Right. So you kind of knew the ins and outs. You knew, you knew the administration well. You knew... Uh, the struggles, and, and the, new, the new thing that you can build off of, you know, coming to South Florida. I, again, I'm from Palmetto, about 45 minutes from Tampa, but I didn't know the administration. I didn't know much about the inside part of it, and right. um, you had to learn that when you got there, so that part was, was different, and, and the fan base, all those things I you had to get accustomed to, and, and I think that's a the reason why it took a little longer than it did at, at Western, and, uh, but getting better football player it helped.
1: What's the? I mean, what is the message when you when you you know that you believe in your system? You modified it a little bit at South Florida, but you had done this before when you came down. Is there a breaking point with patience? I mean, do you get when, when you're ending year two and you're you're still having to kind of not promise but tell people what will happen instead of show them what happened.
5: You try not to make excuses, you know, and and really they're not excuses; they're reasons for why you where you were. You know, there's a reason why they hired me to be there, you know, and and then you had to work to get there. And to me, it's like for anyone to think we were supposed to be any better than what we were, especially the first year, they don't know football, you know. And um, but you understand that's the world we live in, and um, I think it, it, it takes having a great administration that. Recognize the progress and, and sometimes it don't comes in the win and loss column, but off the football field in the classroom when those start when those things get in place then then the wins come on the football field and, and our, our administration had the patience. They saw those things happening off the football field and each year we improved It wasn't better. It went not as fast as everyone wanted, but we improved and uh, Last year uh, showed that that progress was really working and it was going the right direction. You're a uh
1: played high school football in Florida. You played college ball. Not way away, but away in Kansas far. Right. Yeah, so I bet it was far from home. First time it snows up there, yeah. you probably felt like you were away from home. But I know your stance on recruiting camps and I know most I think a lot of the coaches I've talked to now just feel like okay, it's the hype and the mania are over. But what does it mean to a recruit who's trying to get looks from extra schools? That was great for
5: those young men, you yeah. know, they all they all trying to change their lives as well, yeah. you know and a lot of them don't have the finances to go places, you know, and for schools to be able to go around and, and come to them, I think it's awesome for the young people, you yeah. know, and, and everyone talks about recruiting and all. That's that's part of it. Everything changes. Change is the only constant we all have, you know, and I think that's all you're seeing is just recruiting changing a little bit than what it always been. We can't always be the, what we always were, you know, and so I think that's what you're seeing now is, is that, but it's all in good for the kids. How many visits did you take? Do you remember? Um, As an athlete. Two. Two. Yeah. Most people took more than that, but once I once I met Jim Harbaugh, it was pretty... That was it. It was it.
1: Now, had you not met him, though, you, going way back... Did you have the financial means back then? No. Yeah. No. There was no way you could have... No way. What would have... Hell, been? I didn't even
5: camp anywhere. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was. it's different now. Yeah. You know so, right now, it's, it's good for the young people. You know, yeah. everyone thinks, I mean, especially when it comes to Jim Harbaugh, everyone thinks he's out recruiting and, you know, he's out selling Michigan. You yeah. know, and, 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 but he's more importantly, he's out to help the young people. He takes pride in that. And everybody say he's recruiting. He's recruiting. He's the only head coach other than myself but I see out there working for those candidates. You know, everybody else is sitting back in their watch. You know, he's actually working and yeah. actually working to get the kids right. And no one else can really say that yeah but they say he's recruiting yeah you know, so um, you take it for what it is um, I think it's working he's out working people sure uh, and most people don't want to work but at the end of the day y'all aren't worried you're I'll still do. in Florida. It's Absolutely. still sunny every day We'll have to go everywhere that's right I think around the state Thanks coach
0: man look at us Scott for you. this is, this is like a good old-fashioned radio clip show right here we've actually I feel like we're on the best of yeah um, you know this is a, so I, I feel this is both good and
1: something you, you probably shouldn't get used to. Anyway, mm, no, um, God, no. If you're listening to this and it sounds like if it's decent at all, this took way too much work. <laughs> and Bill hasn't even, as we record this, Bill hasn't even started the editing process. Um, we, yeah, we're never going to go this, this advanced again. So, but you know, this one time at least
0: we, we made it count going to the only real conference in college football. Um, all right so we're going to finish up this little this, this set of interviews with what actually turned out to be one of my favorites uh, Tulsa's Philip Montgomery really yeah um, you know it was kind of interesting getting him to talk about tempo and and some of the things that distinguishes Tulsa from everybody from the other high octane offenses in this con- uh, in, in this conference but really it was also fun getting him to talk uh, to admit that he likes catfish in Oklahoma a lot more than he likes lobsters so um, damn them's fighting words. that's right so. Uh, Tulsa might not be long for the AAC after this, but here you go. So, um, for starters, here you know there's a lot of coaching turnover here from year to year. But uh, now that you're in your second year, has this gone about about as you expected it to in terms of your success last year uh, and how you think you're going to be able to move forward in the conference?
6: Well, I'm proud of our guys for what they established last year. We built a foundation of what we want to be and who we want to be. Uh, but again, that's last year. You know, we've got to build that that persona of who we're going to be and who our team's going to be this year. But we've got some great leaders. I mean, I got three of them here with me today. you got Trent and Dane and Keevan. Uh, those guys have got to be the bell castle of what we're going to do. So um, the offense
0: really did pick up on things pretty quickly. Um, Maybe, you know, there are a lot of sacks or things like that, but for the most part, I mean, there's clear improvement. The defense, however, was really, really young, uh, and it seemed to take a while. I mean, are you seeing what you need to see from the defense heading into this
6: year? Yeah, I really – I thought this spring we made more strides defensively than we did anywhere. Uh, You know, with Bill Young and Brian Norwood both being our our defensive coordinators, those two guys having a year together and then being able to make those adjustments that we needed to make from – You know, skimming some things down, making sure that we're all on the same page, our players understanding what we want. Uh, You saw vast improvement defensively this spring. We've added a couple of more young guys that are going to add some speed and athleticism athleticism to our back end. So uh, I'm excited to see the improvement that I've seen from the spring, see that same improvement in fall camp, and then carry it on into the season.
0: You certainly brought in one of the most uh, experienced defensive coordinators, especially for o- Oklahoma no, and, and that area. Um, but you think he's got he's kind of figuring things out, what he's got and what he can do with them this year?
6: Yeah, I really do. I mean, Bill's done a great job. He's got great experience. Um, you know, he's been everywhere in the country. Uh, he's done, done a great job everywhere he's been in the country. So our defensive coaches with Bill and Brian kind of leading them, um, I know they're in good hands, and uh, we'll be vastly improved, in my opinion, defensively this year. So then, you're you
0: are in the, a very offense-friendly conference as a whole. What separates, um, what's different about your version of the of the spread than maybe other uh, other you know in this within this conference?
6: Well, uh, you know, ours is all about tempo. We're going to play it at a, at a at a really high level of speed, um, and we're going to attack you down the field. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to stretch the field a little bit. But we're also going to do a good job running the football and, and try to keep teams honest. So uh, it's about the balance that we try to play with, and then you know, staying aggressive. You got to got to want to score to score. So we're going we're going to put the ball in the air, and we're going to do things we got to do to give our chance uh, our guys a chance in one on one matchups to take advantage of those.
0: And then the last question, you um, you know, with with any sort of offense. Uh, that is maybe a little bit different than others. There's the idea that you know when you're in a conference, uh, you know everybody gets familiar with you after a while, but you also have the opportunity to get familiar with them. What you saw on the field last year in terms of how uh, AAC teams tried to attack you, uh, you know, a was that was were there many surprises in that regard? And b, do you have a pretty good idea of what you want to do this year? Maybe a little
6: different. Yeah, you know been doing this for a while now, you know, so we've seen a lot of different looks. I don't think we saw anything last year that that was more surprising than others. You know, obviously some teams from what we saw on tape did some different things when they played us on Saturday, so being able to make those uh, adjustments, you know, as a coaching staff, as a new coaching staff, but also, you know, as our players, being able to make those adjustments during games as we're going, so... um, To answer your question, you know, are they going to play us the same? I don't know. Right. You know, we'll we'll see as we get into it. Our personnel is going to indicate some of that. uh, But I'm excited to get on the field with our players and see what we got.
0: Good to see some Oklahoma representation here in uh, (laughs) in the Northeast. Enjoy the uh, the lobster last night. Don't get a lot of that in the Midwest. Yeah,
6: you know, you ain't getting that at Grand Lake uh, or Lake Tenkiller, so uh, you know, it was good. Yeah, you know, I I still like my catfish, so uh, that that part of it's good too. But you know, we got to keep representing the good old South and Southwest, don't we? There's
1: a lot of coaches. Yeah, a lot of a lot of hardcore media uh, journalism. Uh, I'm run out of uh, hashtag.
0: I didn't get Diaco though. I was kind of disappointed. Well, that's, used... that's good
1: though because you know what happens if you look into his eyes. Um, we made this joke on the show all the time. Bill got to see it firsthand today. Bob Diaco, Yukon, baller status when you're in Rhode Island. No one in the <laughs> world. So outside of this hotel is is a resort town. It's where the Newport uh, was it folk jazz jazz festival is every year and folk. Just chock full of tourists right oh, now yeah. walking around outside. We're on a. We're situated in a, uh, a resort called, uh, or it's sitting on Goat Island. That's yeah. where the lobsters were last night. Outside of Goat Island and this one hotel ballroom, I don't think anyone in the world or anyone in the Rhode Island world right now has any idea about college football, except UConn kind of has a little, a little something going for them up here. Okay. There is a fan base. I guess that's why maybe they're an expansion candidate. Transition because, time. I was about to say because of the because of Rhode Island or Uh because there maybe is more of a, a viewership to Yukon athletics than people like you and I from the okay. from the American flyover would, would, would want to believe. Or maybe, just, maybe not. Or he just goes door to door and looks people in the eye and they become Yukon fans. They fall in love with him and become Yukon fans. Smartly dressed too. Man, I hate him. He's so pretty. It's just not <laughs> it's even fair.
0: It's just a really unique color of blue today. It was impressive. It was awful. Anyway.
1: Um so what were your um what were your impressions overall? Um, it was a super rushed event. You don't do these a lot. I do them all the time, right. so I'm jaded. But like, it, I will say this: like, the AAC is a perpetual work in progress, right? And someone's always got a foot out the door. You know, they're always trying to figure out what the footprint of this of the you know how they're going to market this thing. All the, all those problems. But like, we on stage today, they had the coaches from each division sitting um, for different segments. And I look up at one point, and it's Tom Herman, Chad Morris, uh, Willie Fritz, formerly of Georgia Southern, now at uh, at Tulane, um, Kenny Matanolo,
3: I'm Mike trying to think of the
1: – Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell, uh, former offensive uh, coordinator at Arizona State, now the head coach at Memphis. That's just one side. Right. Who else was up there? Philip Montgomery. Phillip, yeah, Philip Montgomery. Um, this is – a ridiculously talented conference when it comes to coaching, and these guys know what they're doing. It is it is the I mean, all joking aside for our fun stuff we do on the podcast, this conference is breeding the next major Power 5 head coach. I mean, at, at least one or two a year. Because on the other side you have Matt Rule going to be mentioned for jobs. Yep. Willie Taggart going to be mentioned for jobs. Um, Scott Frost, if he does turn things around. Um, yeah, give Scott Frost, what, two years, he's going to be back out. Same deal. So, uh, the amount of coaching talent in this conference is well, for all the problems and all the uncertainty that this conference has, at least they – it's a bunch of athletic directors who know how to do business.
0: Right. Um, and, and, I mean, that's – well, that's why we're here. That's, you know, as, as you were joking before, this is the NBA D-League of uh, power conference head coaches, and that's not really what Mike Oresco, the commissioner, or anybody else – well, I mean, I, I – you know, maybe, maybe that's what you hang your hat on to some degree, but it is um, – you know, when we when we spoke to Oresco today, I found it really interesting. To, they are really trying to carve out basically what amounts to a third tier within FBS. There's the the quote unquote P five. There's the mid majors, the group of whatever, mm-hmm. and in between there's the AAC. He wants to he, he would call it a P six all day. Um,
1: Boy, he sure does hate Power Five, Group of Five, yeah. so that, that nomenclature. Really, he does not like that.
0: And, I mean, you know, if anybody has a reason to hate it, it, it is him, because the AAC has clearly been the, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the standard bearer of whatever the mid-major universe is right now, right down to the fact that half the conference wasn't a mid-major five years ago. Um, so it's a really unique existence. Um, I. <laughs> But I, I I stayed true to the PA PN brand. I did ask him about the idea of a mid-major Champions League, so to speak, where you know each of the G 5s send like their top two teams to play each other and all that. And I mean he he you know he's he's really really nice and and um, you know he he as politely as possible dismissed this and and pol- as politely as possible said you know we we. Don't hold ourselves as mid-majors. We don't hold ourselves on that level. Our bra- I think it, you know he was talking about how it would hurt the brand of the AAC to, <laughs> to to associate
1: with the Sun Belt and to to some degree. But he did it in like a really nice way. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's it's funny because he's he's not going to back down on this, and and we all. I think it's impossible to eliminate the middle class of college football. Now, the television rights distribution, is; it, it could possibly do that in that the AAC has a lot more in common with the MAC and the Sun Belt, way more in common financially than they do with any of the Power 5 conferences. I mean, the whole reason we're here is because the Big 12 is getting almost lapped by this, at this point by the SEC and the Big 10. There's a clear division. But I don't. I, he makes a good point in terms of quality of the programs. You know, I talked to him. I think the first time i talked to him when he got the job was was after the f- here we go again bill what did we decide it was going to be called realignment era expansion of palooza expansion one or not maybe post expansion two yeah um what we'll was the lhn era when he took over the american he was i mean laughed at for how they were going to compete when they,
4: they started to lose what louisville they
1: lost Rutgers. yeah I mean, they've played really good football since then. I mean, the quality of play. He, he if you talk to him for, if you talk to a Resco or anybody in this conference for more than two minutes, they will start saying, "Well, hey, Temple beat Penn State, Memphis beat Ole Miss." How many times do we hear that today?
0: Oh yeah, they have their. I mean, they have the list down pat. Then you know, Houston with its talking point about you know only they and Stanford uh, had at least like a four and and0 record or an unbeaten record against. Uh, Ranked teams having played at least four of them, something to that effect. They have it a lot better down than I do, apparently. But um, no, I mean, last season was was absolutely perfect for this conference. But the the year before, not really. Um, But you know, last season, a whole bunch of programs peaked at once, and and it certainly, you know, the the topic right now is you know who's going to who is the Big Twelve going to raid, and how many teams is are, are is this conference going to lose? Well a lot of teams in this conference have been good in the last three years, three to four years. Um, And I think that that certainly puts them in a safer position because, okay, so you lose, let's say you lose Houston and Cincinnati. We'll just say two and it's those two. Well, that's, um, you know, that's great. That's That hurts, but um, USF could be really good this year. Temple was really good last year. Memphis was really good um, the last two years. So, I mean, you still, no matter who else you add, you're going to have some, some solid programs to add, uh, you know, to, to, to lean on, even if you lose what is currently the bell cow. Houston's only been a bell cow for a year
1: now. No, um, the bell cow was Central Florida before that. Right. You know, the last time I was here, it was all about the Fiesta Bowl victory over Baylor. So it's... It's funny because that only helps his point. Basically, here's the TLDR on this whole deal. Oresko feels like basically the same way he felt in 2011, 2012. If Cincinnati and Houston go, they will find a way to survive, just like they found a way to survive when they lost Louisville and Rutgers. Yeah.
0: and um, but And I asked him, I think the most – interesting or uncertain thing for to me is uh, they really are. They are the number six conference. They're not quite a power conference, I guess, but they're also not quite a, a mid-major. Um, but I, I asked him about everybody's vision of, you know, 10 years from now or 20 or whatever, we've got the super, super conferences and only 60 or 70 teams have kind of separated themselves from everybody else. Um, it, you know, I asked him basically in this vision, and he even agreed that he has, assumes there will be more consolidation coming Um, but I, you know, he wants the AAC to be a part of that, whatever happens. And being with the, the
1: way the money flows, I think that'll be kind of a challenge. It just feels like we in the media, we in the fans, I think we're the ones craving this, this separation, honestly, because it is sort of laughable to try and, and say that, you know, Louisiana Monroe is on the same footing as Ohio state. It doesn't make sense on any level, but at the same time, as long as you're locked into conference agreements, you're going to have underachievers. You're going to have those teams that you want to relegate, Bill, right. that people are sick of. You're going to have the Purdue's of the world. And, all right, let's say Cincinnati and Houston get called up. Well, you still have Boise State out there. You still have BYU out there. You, you could have an SMU program with Chad Morris. SMU is a pretty deep-pocketed institution yeah. on its own. With, b- before you even talk about its donor base, their athletic budget is strong you know let's say they ride two or three more years with morris and they become a you know a, a 10 and 2 9 and 3 kind of program they're going to overachieve relative to the bottom of the power 5 and that's always going to exist so we can't get rid of the middle class i feel like we're suddenly on a political podcast <laughs> No, I mean this is and this always. I mean this is obviously a pet topic
0: of mine, but it, it is certainly out there, and and that's exactly why. Um, I you know one of our one of our one of my readers always jokes when I'm starting the SEC previews here that you know I previewed Kentucky on Monday, so that I, I previewed the number 14 team in the country on Monday. Um, but I mean it's it's viewed like that a lot. It's like the power conferences are the top 65 programs in the country, but Purdue and Kansas and. Um, you know, the annual, whoever it is in a given year, those bottom teams in the power conferences are going to be worse than at least half of the mid-major universe. And so, you know, I, I also tied in another pet topic of mine in talking to Oresko, uh when we were... Uh, he, 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 he said that, you know, in his introductory comments, he mentioned the football under siege line. A lot of people have brought that up, and we can debate how real that is. But to me, the biggest threat to football, you know, besides you know, parents not letting their kids play it anymore, um, the biggest threat is that this this focus on, you know, with this in, the increased money, increased income, uh, and this in, increased separation between haves and have-nots, uh, results in 60, 70, 80 teams having everything and, and the, just the quality of the product suffering everywhere else to the degree where maybe interest does eventually decline. We, you know, If you are really worried about this sport, you should want as many programs as possible to, to be able to, to thrive and get their fans involved and just build the overall sport fan base or, or keep it large. And the more we focus on the Power Five and ignore the the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth conferences, whatever we want to call them, uh, the more we're potentially hurting this sport long term. Um, and I know you know that that's going to fall on deaf ears a lot because you know Ohio State is in, in is a power team, and and Louisiana Monroe never is. But I just you know the, the to win an election, you got to go county to county too, and and we're just kind of. Uh, we, we ignore that if we go too far uh, in the
1: power conference direction. Right, and now I'll step off my stove. So, you no, know, man, we just actually wandered into, like, a really good and serious territory as we're sitting here laughing about how much we love this weird little, you know, amalgamation of the Big East and the CUSA and all these scrappy little programs. But I guess you're right. I mean, the day that this stops being the day that programs like this or even programs on the top end of the smaller G5s, if the day they stop being aggressive, the day we stop taking interest to see how Arkansas State is overachieving right. or Bowling Green or Toledo or whatever max school it is that year, I mean, that's when the sport starts to – I mean, it, I don't think – it can't contract without losing something significant. So if, if 20, 30, 40 of these programs suddenly become a, a lesser than overnight or if they actually stop playing football, which I think is drastic and will right. happen – I mean there's no way for the sport to take that and not suffer is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I I mean yeah, basically, you know, if if all the power instead of just most of the power if all the power ends up in the top five, uh, five conferences, then you do you 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 lose a lot of your history. You lose a lot of just the depth of your product, and yeah. you lose the opportunity. If it, the, the more schools that end up contracting their football programs, the fewer opportunities there are to get an education while playing football. And we can scoff or we can debate the quality of that education at certain, in certain instances, but it does exist, and it doesn't exist as much if, if, if football programs are shutting down. And, yes, by the way, we are sitting in the – Yeah, area. we're in a hotel lobby right now, so. Um,
1: it's – did we go this entire podcast and really not talk about what 2016 looks like in this conference? I mean, I did feel bad for Resco. He kept trying to pull it in that direction. I mean, this is – I think we, we may be in a bad habit right now because of what, what's gone on with the Big 12, but – there's some like really good football games that, uh, that no one really talked about today in the immediate future that we yeah, get to see. I mean, almost kinda... every one of these top-tier programs, I think within the first four weeks of the season, is going to have a major game. Memphis yeah. has a return date against Ole Miss. Obviously, probably the biggest one is Houston opening up against Oklahoma because of the playoff uh, implications. Temple goes – I know Temple at least – they go back to Penn State, mm-hmm. and then I think they have one other um, – USF. I don't know. I have to stall real fast, but it's it's going to be a pretty significant early season. And if I mean, really, if they split the games kind of like they did last year, if you have three or four more of those to hang on, they're going to be they're going to be totally fine. Um, now, maybe just because the Tom Herman thing has become so big that it's more interesting to talk about some of the rebuilds this year. Like, if I, know, I really want to bet, because I'm always wrong at this kind of stuff, this is the sort of year maybe that. <laughs> SMU suddenly wins five or six games. I think it's it, it, when they do turn a corner, it'll be quick. Um, UCF's probably not going to have that luxury this year. That's, that's gonna I, be.
0: I, would, I would assume they'll get back to four or five, but probably not more than that. Um,
1: no, USF plays uh, Florida, State. Florida
0: State. Florida State. Yeah, yeah that was one I was Syracuse. thinking of. And
1: Syracuse. Um, the opportunities are there. And then, I mean, you could have a situation in which, you know, I think it's week three, Cincinnati hosting Houston. That could be one of the best games of September for anybody. Cincinnati doesn't have any kind of like leadoff game. They've got they're at Purdue, which is a game they should absolutely win. Um, but I mean, you, they could be knocking Purdue on a Thursday night out of the playoff race. So these there's there are games here that matter. There's, this schedule actually is is pretty well done in terms of non conference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this
0: is a conference that's won, as as everybody will, here will remind you has won two major bowl games in the last three years um and could again this year obviously i mean all, all you can do in this if you're the AAC, is keep making good hires and keep winning games when you get the chance against the big teams and um you know if you know even if houston were to end up in the big 12 i think it would be if they were to make a run at the playoff this year and i mean we've shared our opinions on that many times but i think it would still end up reflecting really 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 well on the conference even if they leave because the conference produced it um but it's going to be really hard for Houston to do that because this conference does, I think, because of the recent hires, this conference has better depth than it has in a while. We might not see last, you know, last year where Memphis peaked, Temple peaked, and Houston did really well, and Navy peaked all in the same year. It's, it might be hard to match that. But I think the depth, because Tulane went out and hired Willie Fritz, who has won everywhere he's gone. Uh, some of these, you know, UCF was one of the bottom programs last year and won't stay there very long. Um, you know, UConn is rising again. Uh, East, East Carolina, we, we complained about them firing Ruffin and McNeil, but if nothing else, it showed ambition. Uh, we'll see how realistic the ambition is, but they're, they showed it. So I do think this conference has good
1: depth. Back-to-back back African-American coaching hires. Yeah. Vanderbilt is the only other school I can <laughs> think of that's done that. I mean, it's just – it doesn't happen. Yeah. It speaks it speaks to something there, definitely. Um, any thoughts before we, we sign off?
0: No, I do think um, in part, we'll get into a little bit more in, in the second po- uh, podcast for this week, but no, this was, I mean, A, you know, despite the fact that it was a free-for-all trying to get interviews with people here, as you could hear all the background noise. Um, this was well done. And not only did they have too much lobster last night, but then they had everybody out of here by noon. The SEC goes four day has two extra teams and goes four days.
1: There were more interesting conversations that you and I had by splitting up and running around with tape recorders in about an hour and a half, two hours, than you could get from the entire four days of the SEC. That's just, and that's that's not our bias. That's not me being anti-SEC. It's just that there are more interesting, more <laughs> dynamic coaches here. Yeah.
0: But anyway, this was—I I would
1: say—we
0: talked to a lot of uh, really interesting coaches, and, and I, I feel we backed up the PAPM brand by coming here. So hopefully, hopefully you enjoy.
1: Okay, so podcast two. Yeah, that will be hopefully what after this. Yeah,
0: this this will be this as we speak. Uh, this will be the first one that goes up, and the second one will go up whole, either later this same day or tomorrow.
1: Okay, and that will be Tom Herman and Chad Morris. We're going to get into some stat-specific stuff. <laughs> um, there is some conversation uh, on the front end with Chad Morris. We can talk about SMU a little bit, but it will be uh, – Basically, I commandeered the Chad,
0: the Chad Morris discussion with, with uh, math talk. So you have that to look forward to. Coaching
1: turnovers. All right, guys, thanks for listening. AAC.